0: Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Mary Purdy, a registered dietitian, speaker, writer, video star, and host of Mary's Nutrition Show. Over a year ago, I watched a video of a dietitian in a beautiful red dress dancing in the kitchen with leafy greens and kissing an onion. I knew in that moment, I needed to meet the woman behind the video and was thrilled when I was introduced to Mary through a previous guest, Krista Yulatowski. Mary has the most amazing energy, and when I learned more about her unique journey, it is easy to understand how she is marrying all of her professional passions like the star that she is. Please enjoy my conversation with Mary. Later. Well, good, good. Well, I am very excited, and I want to learn a lot more about you. I've kind of been stalking your YouTube channel and watching all your amazing videos. (laughs) Oh, dear. I don't know. I love them. You crack me up and you're just witty and you just added so much life to your videos. So I know we'll get to that point, but uh, I just really want to talk more about your journey and where you started and how you're doing what you're doing now. So take me back. Take me back to when you were interested in dietetics and nutrition and all that fun stuff.
1: Okay. It sounds like we've officially started. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yes, okay. We We're, yeah, the conversation is a go. I will take you back to 1980-ish. Um, when I was maybe 82, when I was about 10 or 12, I loved food when I was younger. It's always my kindergarten report card came back in 1974. Food is very important to Mary. If she doesn't have a good lunch, it ruins her day. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been an ongoing, long-term thing for a very long time. And... Um, I was more interested in the health piece of it when I was around that 10 to 12. I started uh, looking at some of the New York Times articles on the benefits of broccoli and got very excited about that and realized that if I could eat well um, as an individual, I could live a little, little bit longer. And that was quite appealing to me um, to make that connection between diet and my health. Um, I was very interested in not dying at an early age. So it, it began way back then. Um, you want me to keep on going?
0: Yeah, well, I'm surprised. Like at 10, you were intrigued by how broccoli, the health benefits of broccoli, like no 10 year old is very much into the health
1: benefits of broccoli. I think that's amazing. It's a bit odd, isn't it? I think it's because I started to, this is going to sound strange, but I started thinking about death at an early age. And, um, and I was concerned about it. I thought, I was at risk of dying. I don't know of what, but I just felt like there, it was a possibility and I knew it was on the horizon somewhere down the line. And I just started realizing, I mean whether it was words from my mom or things about vegetables that I was reading about periodically. I, I just knew that there was a connection there, but I never thought about it as a career until I was in my thirties. I, I, I actually went into the field of theater and made that my passion and my interest and was incredibly driven in that field for a very long time. Um, and it wasn't until I started to lose hope around (laughs) the, the, the satisfaction and fulfillment of a, of a life in the theater. Um, and my dad got sick around the same time with a very deadly disease called meningococcemia, which is essentially a bacterial infection, um, kind of like meningitis, um, but it, it creates sepsis in your entire system. And we got some really bad advice from a registered dietitian at the hospital where he was. And I was already starting to to dip into food as medicine and thinking of ways to help improve his health with with diet. But uh, this dietitian said something along the lines of, you know, your father's really skinny, which in fact he was, I admit that. And she said, you know, if he just wants it to eat a Big Mac, just give him a Big Mac. And I understand that when people are very, very ill and the only thing they can keep down in order to gain weight is a Big Mac, um, then that's what you give them. But to have that be the first line of dietetic advice I thought was very strange. And so that, to me, was the cornerstone. And I thought, I can't believe that that would be the best advice that someone could give first off. And really, that's what turned it around. I thought, okay, I now can can do something about ensuring that someone's health, particularly someone in poor health, can be improved when their diet is such that it actually enables the body to heal itself or to address some of the, the 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 chronic issues that are going on
0: interesting, you know, and I bet you know like you said you had probably been practicing you know just personally healthy eating and you know following trying to make food be that medicine for you and then that happened, and you're like, well, this is someone who's sick, and why would we want them to make themselves sicker and how can we change that exactly. So, and you were, and you were in your thirties. So you, so you were kind of like, wow, this is, this is how I'm going to make a difference. This is how I'm going to change careers.
1: Exactly. And it felt like such a natural transition because I thought I have always loved food. I have always loved nutrition and the idea of being able to make a living helping other people realize the potential of food to prevent, address and potentially reverse chronic illness was a total joy to discover. That's,
0: that's profound, as you feel like it's a, it was a joy to discover that. Why did it make you so... Why didn't you feel joy when you discovered that in your life?
1: I think because I have grown up... Wanting to help others my entire life. And when I was in the theater, I was helping others to potentially laugh and enjoy some interesting uh, spectacles. But I really felt a, a deeper sense of the drive to help my fellow human. And this felt like a really applicable way to be able to, to make something to take something that I loved and to be able to turn it into a career choice that would be fulfilling that that dream of mine to really have an impact on people's lives.
0: So how did did you transition? Because that's difficult. Theater is very... I mean, I'm sure you didn't take a lot of science classes when you were kind of studying theater. So how did you transition (laughs) into that?
1: So true. In fact, not only did I not study... Any kind of uh, science, I, I went to a liberal arts college that didn't require any math or science. Wow. And that was the reason why I went, because <laughs> I thought, I'm artistic. I don't need science or math. So I, I immediately enrolled in a biology class, and I realized that I started, I loved it. I loved that part of my brain buzzing and working and it felt good and I had an interest and I actually felt like I got it. I mean, am I am I a born natural organic chemistry superstar? Definitely not. I needed a tutor big time in that class. But I just started dipping my toes. I took an online nutrition class that I knew could be utilized um as a prerequisite for a master's degree should I want one. Uh and I started poking around at different Places. Um, I was in New York City at the time, and I met with a registered nurse slash dietitian who was working at a local hospital there. And she actually told me about the university where I ended up going, which is Bastyr University, just outside of Seattle, and. And she told me, gosh, you know, this is, sounds like a really good place for you. She had had a really amazing experience. I was very interested in a bit of a, a different type of approach, not that mainstream approach that I think I was feeling somewhat resistant to because of the experience I had had in the hospital, I wanted to really focus on a food as medicine approach. How could I get as close to that as possible? And Bastier focuses on that a lot. They really pride themselves on trying to think a little bit more outside the box um, and focusing on ways and strategies that we can see nutrition from more of a systems thinking way, not just about health, but also how nutrition affects the environment and um, looking at food access and all of those, those things that really help us to understand how the food system affects us in many, many different ways that go way beyond health.
0: Interesting. I've heard a lot of great things about Bastyr. I wish I would have knew about that when I was looking at internships. I don't think I researched well enough.
1: <laughs> well, it's, you know, sometimes we, we go with what's familiar and what we, what we uh, feel comfortable with in terms of like, Friends who've gone there, or um, experiences we've had, so I totally understand. I mean, it's and I wanted to stay in New York, so the idea of of heading out west was completely scary to me. So it took a lot of guts to to make that move. Well, obviously it worked
0: out. I mean, you're still there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Who knew? Who knew? Thirteen, <laughs> fourteen years later. Oh no! What am I? What am I saying? I moved here. Yeah, about f- uh, fourteen years ago. Okay. So. Um, I, I haven't looked back. Uh, as soon as I started making the drive from New York City to Seattle, I had this feeling in my gut that just felt so right. I knew that I had made the right decision. That's, that's profound,
0: too, because you, some people do. They kind of go through a few years of asking, asking themselves if they made the right decision. So that's good that you felt
1: that immediately when you left. I really did. I did that gut check that, that we often do. I think women often do it maybe a little bit more frequently, um, <laughs> simply because I think we're, we're hardwired that way to be constantly checking into our intuition. I kept on waiting for the the alarm to go off of, turn back. This is crazy. You've got a boyfriend and an apartment and a family. What are you doing leaving? But um it, it really was one of the best decisions I think I've ever made in my life, um, to, to transition out of that world and into something that challenged me and took me to a totally different place, but ultimately was a place that I knew I, I belonged. So
0: you went and you did, so you got more serious and then you decided to move to Bas- to Seattle to attend Bass Year. And then you, is that was for an internship or did you do your undergrad? I mean, graduate I, had, I already had my undergrad.
1: Program. Okay. Didactic I did program. an undergrad. <laughs> uh-huh. I had gotten my bachelor of science um, at Oberlin College in Ohio. So this okay. was a master's degree at Bastyr University. Okay. And then I applied for the internship at Bastyr and got that. So it essentially, I spent three years at Bastyr that included my internship as well.
0: Okay, And tell me, I'm interested, since they do have a different approach to nutrition what is an internship like with them
1: you know it was great it was really comprehensive so that there were uh, rotations that included the northwest kidney center i worked at an hiv clinic i worked at a long-term health care facility i worked at a regular hospital what I was able to do in terms of the approach that Bastier takes was I was able to bring in my training as a dietetic student that focused on bioactive compounds and nutritional biochemistry from a more integrative perspective and bringing in ideas around supplementation or that food, those food as medicine concepts or the idea that focusing on sleep and stress and GI function were also part of the discussion that a dietitian could and in many cases should be having with patients. So there was that aspect of, of bringing that piece into it. I worked at a diabetes clinic as well. The other thing that I was able to do were a couple of what we called, oh gosh, it was almost like an independent, it was an enrichment, an enrichment rotation. So I think for, for that, I was able to do, go to the American Institute of Cancer Research uh, Conference and write up a report on that. Um, and there were a couple of rotations that were specifically geared towards more of that integrative, Force at play when it came to um, to working with certain dietitians who came from that background, so they were Perhaps in a more mainstream position, but they were bringing in that integrative perspective and they took us as interns in the Bastier internship under their wing and were able to show how can you implement some of these concepts and ideas in a more mainstream area or maybe it was an integrative cancer center or an integrative uh, approach to, um, to, to, to diabetes, that, that kind of thing. So there were those kinds of opportunities, but a lot of it was us as interns bringing our knowledge base to the internship itself and and trying to to offer additional ideas and insights into how we might approach someone's health. Oh, very very good. That's a great experience. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Where
0: did you do your internship? Um I did my internship I kind of was a person that just wanted to get it done because I was older too, but I was uh-huh. just tired of school. So I did it I did it with Iowa State. Because it was six uh-huh. months. It was six months. Oh, and it that's was local. nice. Yeah. It was like but now I kinda feel like I want to redo. I kinda wanna like go in and get
1: more experience and do like some nitty-gritty things. So if we could all well, go back and change. <laughs> it's so funny too. I mean, when you do your internship, and I'm not saying it was a joyride the whole time, I was exhausted and grumpy, oh, sure. a good chunk of it. But I will tell you, and maybe you experience this too. Every rotation I did, with the exception of a few, I was like, Oh my gosh, maybe I'm going to be a kidney dietitian. This is inc- a renal dietitian. This is incredible. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I should work for WIC. This is amazing. I mean, you, you, you'd have these two week or one week intense experiences and feel just so connected to the people and the, and the, the, this specific area in which you were working and and then that would be inevitably replaced by passion and joy for the next rotation that I did and, and uh, slowly but surely I, I try. I, I figured out gosh I think I'm interested in a lot I better just go into private practice. <laughs> <laughs> so is that what is that
0: was that your first step out of your internship?
1: Yes it was and I don't recommend it unless you have a business background but that's that's what I chose to do. Um, I decided that it would be a great idea, idea to just hang my shingle, um, knowing very, very little about running a business. Um, but I, I learned, um, you know, over the course of eight years, how to make that happen. Um, n- not necessarily feeling like I could write a book on it in any way, shape or form, but, um, you know, there were a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears that, that went into Managing a business, but um, i, I don 't think I would have succeeded in a lot of other places because i 'm a bit of a of a uh, person who loves autonomy and a bit of a maverick, and i I like not working on a Wednesday and being able to Run to the store and take a bike ride and um, uh, clean up the house on a Wednesday. You know, I, I just like to have my own schedule, so that really suited me in terms of my personality and also my experience of never really having held down a full time job as an artist.
0: That's true. Well, and and to you, this was a second career for you, so it's not like you are a brown, you know, bright eyed twenty two year old coming out of school that needed some other real life expertise.
1: You had a lot of that already. Very true. And I did have a part-time job at a local hospital here called Harborview Medical Center, where I was filling in for a dietitian who was on maternity leave. And so I got a lot of great experience working in a few different realms, like the international clinic and again, a different, an HIV clinic and um, a, a, a clinic for people who were homeless or very, very low income. So that gave me a fantastic experience. And that was very part time um, for two years. But I highly recommend something like that for people before they go into private practice or in conjunction with people in private practice, because you're just getting a different perspective. And you're seeing patients whom you might not otherwise be exposed to. And I think that really grows your capabilities as as an RD. I I kind of
0: agree. I think you, and maybe it is something that you can do along in conjunction with opening a private practice. It probably wouldn't hurt just to kind of help, you know, help the monetary income a little bit too. But so when you opened your private practice, you said you don't recommend it without a business degree. Why do you suggest or having some type of business experience? Why do you suggest that?
1: Well, because it is a business. You have... Uh, bills to keep track of. You may have an employee that you keep track of. You have patients that you are trying to stay uh, abreast of in terms of booking them and getting paid for them. And there's a lot to keep track of. You, you have all kinds of office supplies that you're working with, and you need to make sure that you're tracking your taxes and tracking all the the different documents that you need to be a private practitioner. So I I just felt like I was building the car as I was driving it down the highway um, (laughs) at about 60 degrees, 60 degrees, 60 miles per hour. And it just feels like I didn't think about... Some of the the basic foundations of what it means to be a business owner, and I think I would have been more successful had I perhaps read a book. Um, <laughs> even I think the academy has setting up your private practice, which I bought and never read for some oh, reason. I know, isn't that crazy? I just don't understand myself sometimes. But you know, we're all flawed, and thank goodness for Absolutely. that; it makes us much more interesting. But um, but yeah, I would say if anyone who is listening to this is wondering, hmm, should I be a private practitioner? I I think having some chops in the business department or talking to a lot of people in private practice and getting tips and tricks uh, before you begin uh, is a great idea.
0: Sure. Do you find yourself even tapping into different resources like that now as you've been in private practice for a while?
1: I do, but I'm no longer in private practice. I left oh, it uh, okay. three years ago. I left it. Yes. Okay.
0: Well, sorry, I jumped ahead. Then <laughs>
1: that's okay because you know what? I'm, I still have an entrepreneurial spirit. So the DPG group, nutrition entrepreneurs, I find very helpful and very interesting in terms of tips and tidbits and tricks that they are often talking about. Sometimes I I mourn that I didn't see those posts four years ago or whenever it was eight years ago.
0: And isn't that interesting? It's like you kind of realize things after the fact. You're like, oh, there was a whole plethora of information in front of me, and I didn't see it at that point. But
1: you maybe weren't looking in the right places either. Well, it's almost like you don't know what you don't know until you realize that you don't know it. And very often by that time, you've tried a bunch of things and you would never have known that you didn't know it unless you went in that direction. So this is, you know, life in general that I feel like we just get more and more wise as we go along. And there is no way for us to know these things except by doing them and realizing that the realizing that we don't actually know how to do them as well as we thought we did.
0: Oh, 100% agree with you on that.
1: <laughs> do you agree with me? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Well I mean then- getting
1: older is harder, but it's hard on the, on the body sometimes, but I tell you the 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 wisdom that has come with getting older is one oh. of the things that i I continually bank on I do too, and sometimes i I'll be walking
0: around and I'm like, gosh, I kind of feel like I have my stuff together today. I kind of feel like. I'm being, I'm adulting well. And I, Uh (laughs) and I feel like that's came with age.
1: (laughs) What makes you realize that? Like, what's a, what's an example of a time that you felt that way? You know, like when I
0: feel like I have my schedule kind of set and the days planned very well accordingly to keep in, you know, keep in time. So like, don't have to worry about running late to this. And I've got my lunch packed and I've got, you know, my house is clean. I don't know. It just kind of feels like, gosh, I just really have gotten this scheduling adulting home life work life balance kind of down
1: yeah it's a good feeling you 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 feel like uh you feel like an adult just as you said yeah. like, this is what the adult people do <laughs> oh that's right i'm one of them okay I'm
0: one of them. i've transitioned. <laughs> <laughs> so with, so let's just go back to your so private practice you did that for eight years and did what was your focus in your private practice did you have one or did you kind of do a whole bunch of variety of different things
1: I did a, a true variety. I worked mostly with those really typical chronic health issues, uh, high blood sugars, hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, people who were tired, people who were dealing with autoimmune issues, um, food allergies, a lot of GI issues. Those were the things that I was most interested on. And those are the things that usually came to me because the more I started working on them, the more the word went out that I was somebody who might be able to help. So I didn't focus on things like sports nutrition or kids nutrition, although I would see those people if they wanted to come in. But I feel like, you know, it's not really my expertise, nor is it my interest. So I feel like it's important to to, to focus on the things and to become more expert in the areas that really make you feel excited. Uh, And I would say that, again, those approaches that help someone to, number one, sleuth out what could be going on for them. A lot of people came to see me and they were like, I don't feel well and I don't know why. Something's going on. And I would put my detective cap on me and say, all right, let's figure this out, you know, and start asking the questions. And sometimes the deep questions, the hard-hitting questions that really got us to the root cause of what was at issue, as opposed to just saying, well, here's a meal plan that has The right calories and macronutrient distribution for you. So that those are the fulfilling patient types that I, that I really like to see and who tended to walk into my office.
0: That and did you, did you really like the counseling, the one on one
1: counseling a lot? I really did. And I still do. I I love that relationship that develops between the patient and the practitioner, especially when there is. Exactly that, a relationship and a partnership where you are listening and assessing and asking and probing and then guiding and making sure that there is buy-in and there's um, understanding and compassion and interest. I mean, there's so much to that dynamic. I I, I love people um, and I love to help people and I like to empower people and make them feel like, they can believe in themselves and very often people don't believe in themselves. And it's really helpful to have somebody who says, you know um, I've got an idea about what might be going on for you and I think I can help you and I think I can guide you on how to help yourself and I know you can do it. And that I think makes a big difference for people when they feel like they're included on the conversation and on the the plan, the nutrition care plan.
0: Well, and I think as dietitians, don't you feel like we, off, we are so good at building that relationship and having those conversations and really helping people more than a lot of other health entities?
1: Oh, I so agree with that. And and I really want to see dietitians and that role be elevated in the healthcare community because we are the people who get it. Um, you know, the doctors may say, okay, you've got high cholesterol, you need to eat more fiber, but the dietitians are the ones who help you understand how to do that and how to work through some of the barriers that may be preventing you from doing that. So I, I, I think this, this role, this profession is one of the first of all, it's a fast growing profession, but I think it is one of the most vital roles in the healthcare community because we've got an amazing background. Um, we have the ability to be knowledgeable about food in a way that we can communicate to people. And this is not just on the clinical front. I'm talking about it more clinically because that's my experience. But this may be about access. This may be about um meal planning, whatever it may be. But we, we have that ability. And to to have that feel devalued the way that I think many of us do is is very unnerving and disturbing, especially in light of how much chronic disease there is, and how much of it is preventable, and how much of it could be addressed with specific dietary and lifestyle changes.
0: I know, I wish that would just I wish that would grow as fast as all the other, all the other medical breakthroughs are, you know, that preventative
1: side of health. True that, you know, the problem is that you can't prove prove that you prevented something, right? I know, darn (laughs) it. It's so (laughs) frustrating. If we we could just utilize twins more often and give one person something and the other person not, but that would never fly because that's not, that's not legal or moral.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's kind of true. <laughs> as a as a private practice dietitian, I've always wondered. You know, have you ever was taking on a client, or maybe breaking up with a client? Have you ever experienced things where you know you didn't feel like a client was a good fit for you, and vice versa, they weren't a that you weren't a good fit for them? And did you ever have to maybe suggest stop seeing a
1: client because it just wasn't working? That's a great question. I know that it hasn't been a good fit because the client hasn't come back. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> that's I reached <really>, <laughs> out a pretty strong yeah, indicator. that's an indicator. Yeah. And I really tried not to take those things personally because I know for myself as someone who has gone to many, many practitioners because I'm interested in my health, I still would like to stay alive as long as possible. The fear of death has not left. <laughs> and... And I get it. Sometimes there's a great practitioner who's really expert at what he or she does, but I just know that their style isn't right for me. Or I realize, you know, I really need somebody who focuses on A, B, C, or D. And this person doesn't, even though they are a great, um, you know, I don't know, massage therapist or whatever it is. it's, It's not what I need. So I feel like there are so many wonderful practitioners. I am so glad that that person figured out that I wasn't right for them. Have I ever broken up with a patient? I don't think I ever have. Not that I believe that there may not have been one or two people that I should have. Um, people who I found very challenging, but I think... I I think I stuck with it, thinking maybe it was something that would help me grow as a person. But mm. as you may know, it, it's pretty easy to take on very negative or draining energy when you have those one to one interactions. And you know, in terms of our own self care as practitioners, it might be wise to to find a way to <laughs> to sure. extract yourself from that partnership.
0: Yeah, I just I always find that interesting because, like you said, self care and how draining it can be, and And when you're your boss and you're the owner of your company, I mean, sometimes you do have to, to focus on what's best for the company, which is you, the CEO of your company. Absolutely. So, okay. So you are not in private practice anymore. So what did you transition as your next, next adventure?
1: Uh, I love that you say it's an adventure because it is. I, I found out about a company where this is where I work now called Aeravel um, in the downtown area of Seattle, which was a startup. So it was very small. I was the second dietitian hired. We now have, uh, 60 dietitians and oh, it was wow. a company. Yeah. It's, it's a company that looks at essentially that systems thinking approach. So we're, we're looking at Diet, lifestyle, exercise, but we're also looking at tons of blood work. Um, so we look at dozens of different blood analytes to help us to understand where people are in and out of balance. Um, from a, a clinical point of view. And we also look at genetics. We look at genetic markers, uh, variations in genetics that no, don't necessarily uh, prove things but may help provide insights into why some of the blood work is out of range or why they may be struggling with certain issues. So it, it offered me a chance to... Get more into a field where I could work with others, which I loved, um, you know, having access to other amazing brains. And as we grew, that became more and more the case. But it's all via the phone. So it's a program that people come into for however long they fi- find necessary to help usually with some issue that they're dealing with, whether it's something they don't even know about or something they've been feeling but haven't identified or whether it's a very specific known issue, diabetes, autoimmune issues. And we work with them on a monthly basis, giving them labs and genetics. And we do microbiome testing and salivary cortisol testing as well. So we really have a comprehensive view of what's in balance, what's out of balance. And then, of course, working with them on their goals and what they came into the program even asking for. Um, yeah, and it's 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 a total whirlwind every day because it is a startup. So we're constantly reinventing the wheel and re- recreating our our uh, our um, what's what, what would you call it our, our approach. You know, it's we're always reinventing it uh, because we're learning as we go along, and it's quite an exciting place to to work. And I have learned a great deal we're working there for almost three years.
0: Well, well, I'm interested because you're doing all those testing. So do people, so people come from you from all over the country because it's all done Mm -hmm. via, via telehealth or whatever. Exactly. And then how, how do they do the testing then? Do you help? order tests do they work with that
1: physician or and they have it where they live and then you guys get the results that's the the latter so they can go to um, a laboratory that we have a partnership with and get their labs taken there and um, and that that those results get sent to us and then we actually put them up on a, um, a dashboard a personal website that each person has and they can see all their labs that way
0: Huh, that's really that's like very high tech.
1: <laughs> it is pretty high tech and, and it's you know the, it, it it has grown from a very very basic platform online to you know we have this entire development team and IT and tech team of of amazing brains and talented folks who are just gosh, they're just whizzes at creating these these sites and all these features and we have an app now and it's it's a uh, it's a lot of fun to to watch it grow, especially when having been there initially and, you know, sure, jotting right. down things in a Word document. And then all of a sudden we've got this incredible platform. It's pretty cool. Well, I think it's interesting that you guys are
0: doing microbiome testing and genetic testing because that's all very much, very much up and coming testing that is really tapping into people's health.
1: It really is, you know, it, it's, it's very much in the vein of what I feel is where medicine is heading, which is personalization. So this idea of personalized medicine of being able to understand why a diet or approach may work for one person, but not work for somebody else. And to be able to understand from a much deeper and richer perspective of looking at blood labs, looking at microbiome, understanding where your genetic predisposition may lie, um, really helps us to Focus in on what's most important for that person or what are the most important things to consider when it comes to strategies that may or may not work. Do you dietitians
0: get together? And I mean, like I there probably would be a lot of things I wouldn't know based on the test results and how to interpret those results. So do you get support from each other and education to help, you know, learn more about all those different tests and how you can help individuals?
1: Absolutely, I mean there was a rigorous training that all of us went through. I was actually one of the clinical trainers uh, for the past three cohorts of dietitians that we had come in. So I was training people on these very analytes, on these genetics that we've been learning about, and then we get ongoing training throughout the entire year. Every single month, every week, there's a new training on something that we're learning or retraining. Perhaps we are are, are learning new new things because we're always uh, searching the. Research and the evidence for the most updated information about these variations and about the microbiome. So we're constantly learning things, which is why sometimes at the end of the week my brain is super tired because I've had to relearn and rememorize and unmemorize. And um, yeah. it's yeah, but but yeah, there's there's very rigorous training that goes on, I and mean, no no one gets on a phone call without a very extensive uh, training that happens as part of their onboarding and as to being a, a a dietitian. We we actually call ourselves coaches uh while we're there.
0: Sure. Are is everybody dietitians or can it be health coaches and, and different entities like that?
1: No, everybody needs to be a credentialed either dietitian, certified nutritionist and um or registered nurse. Oh. But we only we only have one registered nurse. Oh wow. Well you paved the way for those
0: dietitians
1: and huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been an exciting journey there for sure.
0: That's great. Well, I think that's, I, I would suck all that knowledge into, but I would also be exhausted because it sounds like there's a lot of different things to learn
1: there are and you know i mean you probably know too when I mean, if you're in private practice people are coming into your office going hey what do you know about goji berries oh. or like have you heard about intermittent fasting what should i do and then we as practitioners we often go oh yeah i did see an article about that or like ooh that's something that's not familiar we immediately head over to PubMed or Google Scholar, or, you know, search out an article or something to, uh, to make sure that we are up to date on the latest. And you know, this field is just so dynamic. It's always changing, but it's never boring.
0: No, it's very true. <laughs> very true. And also in your free time, you are still, I feel like you still have your theater connection and your entertainment connection. So talk to me about what you do with your, youtube and your videos and and your own kind of side hustle
1: i would call it, is it a side hustle i like that sound i've always called it a side project but i think i like side hustle better yeah so i've tried to to keep my creative spirit alive because it, it it's it wouldn't die anyway i think but i i've tried to to translate the the sense of humor that i have had uh, throughout my theatrical career and and bring it to the, the the world of nutrition, so that I can relay nutrition information in a way that is digestible, it's absorbable, it's fun, it's light, it's engaging, and it doesn't feel like this heavy, dull topic that's impossible to understand. So I've created um, a podcast and a YouTube channel that takes on various different topics. You know, some controversial, some just very basic, and tried to find. A fun way to disseminate accurate and um, important information that I'm hoping, you know, will do the same thing of prevent disease, help to slow down disease, help to address disease, uh, hope to just make people better
0: and more informed. Yeah, well, and I like your approach of how you, you educate, but like you said, you also entertain, which I think keeps the listener or the person that is watching your videos they stay interested, which I think that's a great component to both of those.
1: Yeah. And that's the exact point that that is the, the hope that we had um, when we started this whole project is we are, we're calling it edutainment. Um, My husband is a videographer and professionally. And so he's able to take on the producer side of, of the show. And and that's exactly right, where the goal is to really make people stay engaged and stay interested by making it fun and funny.
0: Where do you get your ideas for your, your podcast and your videos?
1: Mostly, it's things that either I feel super comfortable talking about, uh, that I'm passionate about, or those most common questions that I'm always hearing or I'm starting to hear. I mean, we, I did have people say, what do you know about intermittent fasting? And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to talk about this. And I had um, been reading a bit about it myself anyway, and had started doing a bunch of research for, um, for other reasons. And so I was able to create a show on that, um, you know. And then, should I eat breakfast? Is soy bad for you? Uh, what about eggs? You know, these things that people are constantly asking, and that I feel like it's really important that they get some perspective on. So
0: do you find most of your people that tune in are kind of like the average Americans that are just curious about those questions or do you, try, are you, do you try to be a little bit more scientific-y and more nutrition-y or how do you take that approach when you produce them and make them?
1: It is a huge range. So uh, sometimes there's dietitians who are tuning in and sometimes there are people who don't know that a carbohydrate is different from... A protein. (laughs) (laughs) So I try and find that happy medium. I like to talk... Periodically, a little bit about the research, but without going way too deep in it because I feel like people's eyes start to glaze over. So I offer (laughs) to have research uh, in the show notes if people are interested. I've often put up some PubMed studies or meta-analyses. So if there is someone who's uh, got a discerning eye or a skeptical mind or just wants to go a bit further on the research, they can find Uh, data that they feel like helps to back up some of the points that I've made. But in general, I try not to go too, too deep on that because really my, my goal is to reach people who just are looking for more information on nutrition and want to eat better or to address some of the issues that they are, are contending with. And I, I'm not there to be someone's personal dietitian. It's impossible to personalize any information via a podcast. I mean, because People are so different. So I have to be a bit more general um, simply because what may be right for one person may not be right for another. So I I do the best I can with finding the best information that I feel like will ultimately serve a variety of of the population.
0: And how did you choose the two mediums that you kind of focus on? Because you're mostly doing podcasting and then like your YouTube channel. So how did you choose those as your your ways to share your messages?
1: I think, um, you know, I, I've done so much performing in my life that it felt like a natural fit to, to do videos. And um, I think, you know, my husband and I have, have just experimented with making funny videos anyway. And then he said, why don't we actually make a video, a nutrition video? And and I think it's easy for me to just be in front of a camera and have a good time. I don't get super self-conscious <laughs> because I think I've been doing this, I know, for my whole life. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I, there's no horn tooting here. This is more just what felt natural in terms of the, the next step for me. Um, and then with the podcast... It was just easier uh, than setting up a whole video uh, contraption and there's no makeup involved and it it just takes less effort. And with a full time job, which I seriously have, uh, I really couldn't afford as much time as I would have wanted to to make really exceptional videos on a very regular basis. So, it really is a side project um, at, the to- at, at the moment, and I, I do what takes as little effort that doesn't detract from my, my job, but also still allows me to do something um, in a high-quality way.
0: Sure. Well, and that's what I was going to ask, Mike. When do you find time to do this? Because I know you, I knew you worked full-time, so I was curious on when you were squeezing
1: all this in. You know, people always ask that question, and I—I I just think we make time for the things that are important to us. Um, and, you know, I, I often ask people like, "When do you find time to read?" Because I don't read a lot of books. I read a lot of articles. I read a lot of the New Yorker. Um, but the last time I sat down and read a book cover to cover, it has been ages. So I think you know, people choose to do with their time the stuff that matters to them. I don't have kids, so that really helps um, have extra time in the day. Um, I think that really frees up hours that many people can't imagine having if they have kids. So they wonder, like, well, because I'm like, how do you have kids? How do you have time to have kids? (laughs) I'm the same way. I'm like, where do you fit that in? (laughs) Seriously, like, that's that's more than 10 hours a week. That's like, that's a lot of hours (laughs) during the week. So I'm always curious about how people do that but but that matters to them right they want to spend time with their children they want to go to that baseball game or have that family dinner so that's how they spend their time and um so i think we 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 choose to spend our time and the, with the things that are meaningful for us and and this is meaningful for me
0: well and I, and I think that's a great message because you know you do work a full-time job but you still have the passion and the desire to want to do this side project that you have and I think that's great that you made the made the made, made the point to say that you know you make time for what
1: you find that brings you joy in your life and I think that's a really good message. Yeah. What do you do? Do you have something that you make time for that's like non-negotiable? That- it's kind of this. I love the podcasting. Mm. I think that's been probably my fun
0: kind of just get away to talk to dietitians that I don't get to see on a regular basis or meet from across the world. So that's very fun for me. Yeah,
1: well, I, I would love to have you on our show as well. So we will talk about that offline too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So where do you kind of what do you see future wise for both your career and for your side hustle? You know, what kind of goals and And dreams do you have for moving forward goals and dreams ah
1: let's see (laughs) i mean i love public speaking i uh because of my performance background once again i i really like being in front of people and i i have spoken at a number of nutrition conferences and i would love to make that a more regular part of my life um whether it's nutrition-specific conferences or it's other medical community conferences, I taught for a few years at Bastyr University as well um, a few years back, and oh. I really loved that. So, you know, for me, teaching and being in front of crowds and being able to reach larger groups of people is is really uh, satisfying to me. Um The other thing that I feel like I've become more interested in and that I hope will be a part of my life in a more substantial way is trying to reach out to more diverse communities, to people who are in greater need, and to focus in on how to get greater access to food. How can we... Uh, get rid of the food deserts. How do we get nutrition education to the people who need it most, who can't actually afford to go see a private practitioner because they don't have the money or the insurance or the wherewithal to even get there? So I, I think that's becoming a bigger, bigger issue as we, we see more and more rifts in our, 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 <laughs> our country. And I hope that I will be able to to be a part of that movement at some point down the the line, when I am able to find a, a way in, I I think you would be amazing at all of those things. I think you'd be amazing
0: to do presentations. I would love to have you at a presentation. I'd be excited because you're so like contagious and just interesting, and you have great delivery. So. You Aww, definitely well, Yeah, you definitely keep people engaged, which is so great. <laughs> and I you know the, Dug, yes. all the food like you said, the food system and the food deserts and all that kind of stuff, it's I never realized how predominant it is in our country. And it kind of it makes me sad that our country is so wealthy but still Still struggling in so many ways when it comes to food. So,
1: it's so sad. I mean, I really try not to get down about it, but when you live in a city and you see people hungry on the streets and you know that 1,300 calories are being thrown away every single day by each individual in America, it's just heartbreaking. So, I mean, we have an obligation to our fellow human to do what we can to help and to, you know, to make efforts to ensure that everybody has access to. Daily breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's just crazy that people don't have that. I agree.
0: I agree. And kids makes... It's even more heartbreaking when I see oh. kids and then, you know, their families are experiencing the same thing. Indeed. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's another thing that comes with age, too, that, you know, you get more passionate about because you're breaking away from that, oh, I need a career and I need to be a dietitian and I need to be a superhero, to. I can do
1: that, but what other things can I do that are very impactful? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, th- I, I think the, the older we are, the more we're exposed to some of these issues. So they just weigh heavier on our hearts, I think, than they might if we were younger and just had had less exposure. Sure. Sure.
0: Absolutely. See, all good things about becoming better at adulting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I always, I like to look on the bright side of getting older because it doesn't come without its, uh, Interesting nuances. (laughs) Sure. for sure.
0: (laughs) Well, I am so I'm so lucky that I got it I got introduced to you through a previous guest through Krista. That was so wonderful that we made that connection. And I love and enjoy. I do share your videos with um even some of my own clients. I will be doing education with them. And I've used your videos in a couple settings. So wow, I'm so honored. Yes, yes. So please know that you are. You are reaching people in Iowa, so...
1: (laughs) Wow, who knew? Yeah, right? And I think, you know... I am um, the Chair of Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine, and we have a pretty strong student group as well that I think should be listening to your podcast to find out, okay, what are, what are the many ways that I can find and build a career post my dietetic internship? And I know you've got such a variety of people who are doing different things. I've listened to a few of your podcasts, of course, as well, and, um, you know, it's just nice to see the the diversity of people who are doing many different things right. with their degree yes and that was something i think that's where this podcast
0: kind of came from because i didn't really have that when i was navigating my career in dietetics so that's kind of why i think this is such a good platform for both of us to be reaching out to lots of different people and and giving them that that information yeah the Mm -hmm. information that they're not getting so
1: absolutely I'll just
0: keep rocking it out girl
1: <laughs> all right rock it <laughs> well now
0: that you've answered all my hard questions are you ready for my easy questions
1: <laughs> are these the favorite questions yes, yes the favorite question <laughs> um, what is your favorite food and here's my question back to you. Yes. Oh, the whole favorite thing. Like I, it's so hard for me. So I'm going to say, I'm going to qualify these by saying these are one of my favorite foods. Is that okay? okay? Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, one of my favorite foods is the avocado. <laughs> it's versatile. It's high fiber. It is creamy and it never disappoints. That's very true. Unless it's not, it's too ripe, then maybe it might. Oh, I'm so sorry. That is disappointing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when it's brown and mushy, oh, yeah. and you open it up and there are those little patches of mud in there. Oh, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, that is that is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking <laughs> avocado. I know,
0: it's cruel. <laughs> That's a great food.
1: I agree with you on that. Uh, do you have a favorite beverage? I would say one of my favorite beverages is uh, it's going to sound kind of funny, but I, I do love kombucha. Um, I love fermented beverages. I find them very thirst quenching when I am super thirsty, I need something that's got an, an acidity to it and like a uh, it, that fermented quality that I can just gulp down and just makes me feel alive. So I I do love kombuchas, but I don't like sweet kombuchas. I like sour kombuchas that are gingery and, um, you know, very, very tart.
0: Interesting. And that's, that's what a lot of people you hear don't like the tart ones. So I will think of you when I see the tart ones. Thank you. Send them my
1: way. Well, I well. Do you have a favorite brand that you like? I like a few. I like uh, GTS, um, and I also like. Uh, I think it's called Health Aid, and uh, oh, Townsend's. Yeah. Those are some of my favorites, and the, particularly there's some ginger ones in there that are just delish that you like. See, there's
0: always something for everybody. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a favorite color?
1: Um, one of my favorite colors, I would say is a, uh, a maroon, um, aubergine type of color. I have a purple couch oh. that has been with me for uh, close to 20 years. And every time I see it, even 20 years in, uh, the color just makes me feel calm and happy. That's, you moved it all the way from New York. So you definitely love it. <laughs> oh, I would not be without this thing. I, I'm, I, I'm going to be heartbroken when it, um, when it finally starts fading and uh, becoming warped, but it's doing well so far. Knock well, on wood. Good.
0: <laughs> and do you have a favorite scent
1: or a smell or one of your favorite scents or smells? I really love the smell of geranium. Um, I use an essential oil geranium uh, to put onto my skin as a skincare product. I just mix it with some almond oil and uh, rub it on uh, my skin after a shower, and I just find the the smell extremely soothing and um, and and very lovely. So that's one of my favorite smells.
0: I'll have to smell that. I've never smelled that before. So
1: oh yeah, it's I'll... just lovely. Hmm. And mm-hmm. what brings you joy in life? One of the things that brings me joy in life is goodness, is overall kindness and goodness. When I witness kindness in others, and when I witness kindness towards me, I feel kindness towards me, and when I can be kind towards others, um, it gives me a sense of joy that goes beyond any kind of um any any really any other kind of like uh, physical thing that gives me joy it it um or material thing that gives me joy there's a feeling that i get when i am able to witness goodness and kindness and it um it's i think what ultimately nourishes me the most
0: oh that's wonderful what a great feeling <laughs> I hope that doesn't I mean, sound like, cheesy. No, no, it's kind of like true. my feeling of I got my stuff together a day where I'm adulting. Well, I know it's like a feeling you can't quite describe, but it's there. And you're like, oh, that's
1: such a good feeling. Well, in the in the, in the wake of so much d- distrust and um, just angst in the world right now, when you see even just a small act of kindness, it, it really just rises to the top of all the debris that's happening that feels very soul sucking and debilitating. So I think it, it's it's just so great to see those, those brief moments, um, whether they're directed towards you or somebody else, and to just recognize that there can still be good in the world, even when it feels a little dark at times.
0: And to be aware of them and to be looking for them. Mm. Seeking them out. Or creating them. Yes, absolutely. Both. All of the above. Everything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also like to dance. That gives me joy, too. But that's a side note. (laughs) (laughs) Do you do it often? I, I dance about five times a week.
0: Oh, good. Like, do you dance in your kitchen or do you like go formally dance somewhere? I take a formal
1: dance class five times a week. Yeah. I love it. Oh my gosh. I know all kinds of dance then mostly in that I really enjoy hip hop. I'm a total white girl, but I, I enjoy um, (laughs) hip hop dancing and just kind of like a funk, funk dancing that I, that I mostly do. And, uh, it's, it it gets me completely out of my head. So I love that.
0: That sounds amazing. That sounds fun. That sounds like a fun thing to look forward to every. Every week. Yeah. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mary, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope to stay connected with you for sure. And I hope you've shared a lot of great, very great insight today. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, thank you, Anne Elizabeth. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And I just applaud what you're doing in terms of helping to highlight all the different ways that we can, we can direct our careers and build our, ourselves as, as RDs. So thank you for what you're doing for the profession.
0: I appreciate that very much. You enjoy your beautiful Seattle weather today.
1: Oh, I will. And you enjoy your lovely Iowa weather as well. (laughs) Oh, I will. (laughs) All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.
0: After Mary told me about her first profession, being in theater, it totally made sense why she is so charismatic in her videos. She has also recently asked if I would be on her podcast as a guest, so I look forward to sharing that episode of Mary's Nutrition Show with you in the future. If you haven't seen more of Mary, please check out her website, marypurdy.co, where you can access her podcast and videos. My website, annelizabethardy.com, is where you can read my latest weekly wisdom blog post, where I share some of my current adventures, some food I am chowing down on, and the music playlist I create for my workouts. I might also include a really delicious real deal recipe that sprouted up in my own kitchen. And I always include what I'm loving right now. You will find all my previous podcast show notes and links to things we talked about during all my conversations with these amazing people. And you can also purchase my book from the website. Please connect with me on social media by finding me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at Anne Elizabeth RD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.